Welcome to In Conversation with Kathleen. I'm Kathleen Kettles. I'm a psychotherapist and I love people and their stories. In each episode, I'll be speaking with a guest about what the word success means to them. And at the end of each interview, I'll be discussing the episode with co-creator and editor, Remy. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of In Conversation with Kathleen. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Frank Toe. Frank is a contemporary artist and art lecturer in a Scottish university and is based in Glasgow. Thanks so much for joining us, Frank. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. That's not a problem. Thank you for having me. No, you're so welcome. So let's just dive straight in and ask where you are today, what your life looks like just now and what you're up to. I'm just in the remote area of the Highlands at the moment, just kind of just chilling now because we're just, I've just finished teaching for the semester. So I'm just really just trying to wind down, being hard at it in my own practice as well, because I like to push myself, even if I don't have major, major big projects. I do like to push myself physically and, and mentally uh, for my own art practice because I feel that I know that it could be quite easy for anyone who becomes uh, a lecturer or even got like a permanency of a contract, which is quite, which is really, really tough these days to get that kind of position. It's easy to be complacent and content. For me, I don't like to feel like that. I like to constantly push myself. So sometimes I do make things hard for myself. For example, I will probably still stay up till about three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, still doing artwork. Used to do that. My, I did that did a lot in my twenties. I'm still doing it now in my early forties. So, can you tell the audience what your art practice is? What you do? What you create? Okay, my art practice uh, currently is I I'm focused on drawing. Uh, I predominantly use gunpowder and explosives to make representation artwork now i know there are numerous artists throughout the world who use gunpowder but um but those kind of but those artists tend to use them as performance pieces like people like to see things on fire we all got our own little paramaniacs uh, in our own psyche but for me um i'm not interested in performance uh, i am more interested on the draftsmanship skills so i tend to use gunpowder as a very much of a a high-risk approach where it could go horribly wrong. You know, put too much gunpowder, it could disintegrate paper, put too less, it doesn't do anything. For me, I like to have that high-risk approach where I know that this things could go wrong, but if I can pull it off, it's the reward is a lot is a lot worth it. And I think for me, art in general to me is about keeping things innovative and exciting. There's nothing worse than being complacent, content, and you just do the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, I know folks from art school uh, who graduate from art school who maybe may have been award-winning young graduates, but they keep trying to repeat the same formula, mm-hmm. and they don't, and they realize, and then they soon realize it's not working, and they don't understand why it's not working. It's because, and um, for me, it's more or less they become too comfortable in that particular style or particular formula which they think is going to bring them success. In the arts, nothing is ever solid. You also have to keep innovating. And for me, I'm constantly innovating. And the other side of my practice is that I'm also a social activist as well. Um, I work with with IN Swedish Development Partner, 
based in Sweden. They are a charity organization that have been I've been working with um, and the EU alloy called Humanium Metal. Humanium is a fair trade alloy made from destroyed illegal firearms. And they use this uh, metal, this alloy, which is, imagine AK-47 being melted down to a, a, a bull of metal. And they, use, and they give it to different companies and different outlets to produce some of that, this metal. Like they've made watches, buttons, spoons, uh, recently sneakers, um, trophies. For me, I have been commissioned by IM to develop a U colour, which I've already have. I managed to make a U colour out of one metal and, and a soft pastel. I'm in the process of trying to make it into an ink, which could be a game changer. If you think about it, can you imagine every piece document in the world written in this ink, if I could pull it off? Wow, Frank, that is, it's actually really moved me hearing that and also kind of blown my mind. It's just such a fantastic idea and what an amazing thing to be involved with. And you're you're right, you know, just imagine that being the ink that's on the page for mm-hmm. these peace negotiations and everything. That's fantastic. Crikey. How on earth did you get into that relationship? Oh, <laughs> that, that's a, that is a very, very good question. That's it, it strives from a lot of different things. Uh, first of all, to highlight, I am a watch enthusiast. I collect watches. And the funny thing is that I used to wear like uh, a nice watch to my mother much my 21st. Now I started getting into watches because I had a lot of note upon a tender a lot of time in my hands. So what happens when I was looking scout on the internet and I began watching YouTube channels, this Kickstarter campaign came up about this watch made out of illegal firearms by a company called Triva. Triva is a watch company in Sweden. And they went into collaboration with Iron Switch to them partner. Now, gunpowder, watch and gunmetal, you cannot ask for a better promotional material. I reached out to Triva and they said, great. Iron Switch to them partner reached out to me and said if I wanted to work with uh, with Humanium. Now, it was a back and forth conversation and it was, and also we had the pandemic which was about to happen. But the funny thing is that, well, I actually went for a different period in late 2019 where I was questioning a lot about what what I was doing in general. And I think it was, uh, it was a really, really dark moment in my life. And it came to the point where I thought to myself, like, I've, I can get into Royal Academies, I can get into X, Y, Z, I can sell and all that kind of stuff. But what am I really doing that is making a difference to humanity? Or, or what makes a difference? What can I make a difference as a human being? And the Humanium Metal was a kind of the perfect outlet for me to to actually focus on. I mean, I don't personally uh, profit from that because it's a complete charity thing that I do with in my out of my own practice. For me, I just thought to myself, I want to do something that could actually contribute to world justice or and sustainability. And I felt this was the perfect outlet for me. So in a way, the Humanium Metal is a feel good factor for me when I do it because it's a message that I do strongly believe in. Mm-hmm. Well done. Gosh, that's that's tremendous. So looking at all of your life, that included your artwork, everything, mm-hmm. what does the word success mean to you then, Frank? To me, I have been thinking about this for quite some time, what does success actually mean? And for me, the word success is not a solid concept that you carry through in life. 
for me, success has always had different has always had different uh, meanings and connotations. But I think for but for me personally, I think success is basically being comfortable and established within yourself and having that belief that what you are doing is right. If you were were to ask that question to me when I graduated from art school in 2005, nearly 20 years ago, my concept of success would have been completely different. Mm -hmm. It would have been beating my rivals, earning lots of money, having sell-out shows, go to New York, go to London, have, you know, get discovered and all that kind of stuff. But for me, this, I think for me, success is, it's one of those generic words where it matures over time. And the reason why I feel that way is that my generation um, and the millennials, we were exposed to, we're the kind of first generation that was really exposed to social media. So I was kind of like, when, when I graduated, Facebook had just came out, but there had been Beagle and MySpace. And now we've got so many platforms on social media. We've got TikTok, you've got Snapchat, you've got Instagram, and all that kind of stuff. And now we have a new kind of uh, profession called influence, influencers. And there's this whole thing about having so many likes and having so many followers. And Andy Warhol was right. Uh, correct me. The audience could correct me if I'm wrong because I cannot remember the quote off my hand. But he did say that everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Yeah. TikTok has actually has actually enabled that with making uh, videos and all that kind of stuff. And I think with young people, I think they feel that success is a validation uh, about their uh, a validation of who they are, but it's an artificial level. And not understanding that success is a bit more deeper. And I think the word success can also be very, very, it can be misleading. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very misleading. What is success to most people? Does it mean getting married in your early 20s? Does it mean getting a mortgage in your early 20s? Does it mean getting a permanent contract? Does it mean... Uh, having a relationship does it mean passing your tests and all that kind of stuff there seem to be this kind of yeah these kind of milestones that society was what is success success kind of develops and matures when you grow older yeah and I was going to ask you about that so in your role as a lecturer now do you see this playing out in front of you where they're super enthusiastic about getting the likes, getting the Instagram pages up, making sure they're done on TikTok and uploading their latest piece of work, for example. In general, when I do speak to the younger generation, like um, in gallery openings and stuff, and even on my own social media feeds, you know, I see this drive a lot about having these likes and having these follows. And it can be quite, I mean, that's, I've seen teenagers getting so, so worked up about getting like something like 60,000 likes on a TikTok post. And I'm thinking, yeah, and okay, that's great, but it's validation uh, for a certain amount of time. I mean, my, I know, I remember my, um, with, with my relationship with Sir Patrick Strait, who is a collector of my work, and he's a well known Hollywood actor and also a friend of mine. So I remember he said to me when I was young, you could be in today's headlines. Uh, Frank, but tomorrow it's fish and chip paper. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, and I think that is so, that hits the point so so well. What uh, valid self uh, validation and uh, what people think success actually is, mm-hmm. and I think that's I think success seems to have a shorter shelf life these days. Yeah, like social media. Yeah, that's true. So I was wondering about that though. That in your role as an artist and also then as a lecturer, do you try to impart that knowledge with your students that look that's not the point of of your wanting to be an artist it's not about or is it that we're well I'm older than you but the the generation I'm gen x so it's all new to me I've had to learn as I as I go but there's definitely a, a from my perspective in psychotherapy the young people are really struggling with how they appear on social media what their peers think of them in that life and how it compares so drastically differently to their actual life. So an artist, you're producing something, you're quite vulnerable when you're producing your work. And as a young person, is there hesitancy from some people about putting it out into the world or are they still super keen to get it out there, get it liked, get it shared? I think if we move away from uh, my lecture role because my my students actually have a lot of common sense but I approach people when in like maybe in degree shows such as or maybe when people approach me for advice because I do get I do get pro- approached by a lot of young graduates for advice because I'm seen as the guru of this kind of of this kind of thing which I have no idea why <laughs> but um but when I do speak to folks and even at, even at openings it's just like I think we all have this general desire to be liked, and it's it's instead it's instilled in us when we were we were younger is to have this validation. You want you want to be validated by your friends. You want to be in the in the group of the popular kids. You want to be validated by your teachers. You want to get validated by your parents and 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 all that it, and all that jazz basically. But I think that I think this also comes with a sense of insecurity. Mm-hmm. as well about what uh, how they deem what is success I mean I get I'm seeing people on social media or even like on in like in the art scene who are trying to imitate like what they felt was the was the successful formula right. 20 years ago I don't know like Tracy Evans on Made Bed for example or Damien Hurst with a with a shark they're trying to imitate, imitate their own success but well but they're copying something but directly but they're not innovating people see me as successful mm-hmm. so my uh because of what i do and my journey in the arts but i feel like if you were gonna ask me what my how i what how i have been successful i had to go through the absolute hard graph of course and that's what i was going to ask you next actually yeah what was the biggest obstacle or obstacles you had to overcome to get to this point. And it's interesting hearing you say, you know, people look at me as some kind of guru. You know, I've been following you for a few years on on uh, social media and I, I am absolutely blown away by your artwork. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm genuinely saying that because it's true. <laughs> um, it, I just look at it and, the, and, the, and we're obviously going to put links to your work at the end yeah, of the show yeah, notes yeah. so people can see, see it. I'm not going to do a disservice by trying to describe it because it is really <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. And uh, the audience will, will really appreciate it, I'm sure. So, yeah, you still have that sort of 
uh, almost confusion or humility, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. why do people want to come to me? But you've you've done the work, as you say. So tell tell the audience what your biggest obstacles were to get to this point. I think these days with education in general, education, higher and further education, and I think it's a good thing, especially in further education, they teach students like portfolio skills, like they teach a wide range of skills from digital uh, photography, for sculpture, three D construction, architecture drawing, and flash drawing, and all that kind of stuff. But when I was in art school, we didn't have those options. And when you graduate, you got one or two options: you work part time, and you become an artist, and you spare time, or you do teacher training, you do and you and you do your artist, and you do your kind of like your artist practice at the side. It wasn't really it wasn't really discussed about what could you do realistically at art school i knew this was going to happen and the reason why i knew this was going to happen is that i come from a family of entrepreneurs my family have most members of my family have all have had uh businesses because i'm from hong kong i'm first generation of British colonial hong Kongers here uh when my family came over my mother and my father they had no choice but the only skill they had was to open takeaways and restaurants to get an income so i knew that from a very very young age from seeing my mother doing the bookkeeping my dad doing the cooking it's about how i grew up you can't rely on uh, being lucky in the application process uh, back then it used to be it's now creative art uh, creative scotland but it used to be called scottish art council you cannot rely on that to get funding straight away that's not possible and also, I was very, very tactical in the way, because I, I've always been brought up to be tactical-minded, even from a young age. Yeah, I, you know, I was brought up to be quite thought, uh, insightful about future predictions and all that kind of stuff. So when I was in art school, in the second year of my degree, I already knew it was going to be tough by the time I graduate. I went to the England English University, which is a three-year degree course. I remember I woke up one morning thinking, I'm 19 years old, coming to 20, I'm going to finally year 21, I'm still a child, I'm not ready. So what did I do? I contacted WAS, which is Workshop Artist Studio Provision in Scotland. And back then, yeah, it was more or less, it was quite uh, an arcade system how to get on the waiting list. The waiting list for studios, and specifically in Glasgow, is, was, and it still is to this point, horrendous. Because you can imagine there's over 60,000 graduates every year uh, from different universities and different art courses in Britain. And imagine 60,000, or maybe a quarter of them, trying to get studios in Scotland. So it's going to be, you're going to be on the waiting list for a number of years. You could be on the waiting list. But back then, I was on the waiting list for, or four years before I got uh, my uh, before I became a leaseholder. But during that time, if you're waiting, you can be a subtenant. Now, I was lucky to get a subtenancy because I got a studio. I actually went into industry quite early on before I even graduated. So I actually started like making work for galleries and stuff. But just remember, I'm still a student at this point. But taking a gap year, when I did return to my degree. I was thinking the mindset as an artist. I already had a really tight uh, regime of how I work. I knew the materials. I knew the nature of my craft. I know the I know how to get the quality of materials. So I really focused on that. And then what happened was that 
that led me to get a really, really outstanding degree. And then I went to Duncan Johnston, where I did my master's. And there's a one-year master's, which really, really did help me focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did it t- teach me the style that, I, well, the oil paint style that I was known for, but also taught me about how to be strategic. And then eventually what happened was that before I graduated from art school, as I said before, I didn't go for the, the Scottish Art Council route for funding. I actually was a little bit tactical in what I did. I went through Business Gateway. They gave a business grant money. The Princess Youth Business Trust, which is well, His Majesty King Charles, because right. he's not king, but it's his charity. Um, he had a charity called PSYBT, Princess Youth Scottish Business Trust, which would give you advice and a low interest loan uh, up to two thousand pounds to set up your uh, set up your own business. Because I had a because I got picked up by a London gallery before I graduated from my masters. The sales from that show was enough evidence for me to get the grant to get the low interest loan, and combine that with the money that I have just earned from London to actually officially set up to my practice. And you remember I said I put my name on the waiting list? By the time I graduated from Duncan Johnston, a studio was ready for me. So I wasn't in the same situation as most of my friends. I could easily walk in, move out my studio in Dundee and get into the into my Glasgow studio. Brilliant. That insightfulness that you had and that ability to sort of think ahead for a young person that's quite unusual because a lot of young people are just thinking day to day to day. But yeah. you're, you're taking the year out, starting your master's, reaching out to these fund potential fund holders and people who can guide mm-hmm. you. Brilliant. I mean, that's that's such a valuable thing that you did to, to then all it all kind of timed itself so beautifully. So that London show, that was before you had fully graduated. You're from yeah, Canada. I'll tell you what, this is another thing which is quite uh, tactical of me. People would assume that I got discovered by galleries in London and New York. And there's always been kind of like myths about me, which I've heard from the great wine, the best one I've ever heard. It's like, oh, because he must be in the Freemasons. Oh. <laughs> that's that's a you one on me. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, what I did was uh, I went through the old fashioned way of getting a show. I wrote to galleries. I wrote up over five, I must have written about 500 letters during my time of masters. And we didn't have digital photography back then. This is just at the era where digital photography was just about to start, but we didn't have the format now to, to do this. I had to send slides. So you can imagine how much slide from actually cost, you know? So it's absolutely, it was absolutely horrendous. It was absolutely, I was just thinking, okay. But <laughs> Out of the 500, 10 replied, and Freedom said yes. Mm-hmm. And were they all in London, or is this 500 all over? In, the- in London, London. Uh, Ireland, the States, Scotland, the bits of Scotland as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. And that determination, though, this is what I'm hearing throughout your work and your career, it's mm-hmm. that tactical approach, definitely, Yes. But that relentless putting in the work. It's put, they're putting in the hard graph. I mean, I think what, uh, what it is is that I think people, I'm not being, uh, I don't know what's the right word to say, discriminating against young people. I'm not being like that at all. But 
I think people want success so badly they don't understand. It's like the iceberg analogy. You want to see what's beneath the above the surface. You don't see what's beneath. Mm. And I sometimes feel that the whole notion about doing the hard graph is sometimes lost because it's easy to feel defeated when things don't go your way. I mean, I'm not going to say I I was perfect. There were a lot of times that I did not achieve my targets or my goals. And there was a lot of times I was discouraged. But then I always come to this this mindset. If I ever if I was ever on my deathbed, I'd rather say I did it and I tried instead of saying I wish I could have. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can go to bed at night knowing you've done your best work. You've tried your yeah. best. That's that's such a big deal, I think. And you're right. People who think that there's actually a sports person. Yeah. Uh, it was a golfer, a famous golfer, said uh, he hears commentators saying, oh, he's so lucky, he's so lucky when he wins big competitions. And he said, it's funny, isn't it? The harder I practice and the harder I train, the luckier I get. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm hearing here. That that you know, people say, oh, it's because you know the Hollywood actor. Oh, he's so lucky. Hello. <laughs> this is someone who's up till four or five in the morning sometimes yeah. doing work. Mm-hmm. I think what is like, I... There's a, there was something that I was told by one of my old lecturers at art school uh, before I graduated, and he knew that I had all these opportunities coming up. He said to me, you can be lucky the first time, but once you're lucky, you have to be smart. <laughs> That's good. And, and he, was, he, was really, he was bang on about that. You have to be smart in what you do, whether it's art or set up your own business or be an entrepreneur, anything like that. You need to be smart about the whole thing. I've always been the kind of person who never feel like um, I have to let things go my way or come my way. Okay, I, I, will, I will admit there are things that I have been incredibly lucky. But that's only through placing myself at the right time and being quite tactical in a lot of things. Sometimes you need to think outside the box, which is a, I love using this analogy, thinking outside the box to see other opportunities and see how you could, what you could do to gain them. I mean, I've always said, if any opportunity shows in front of you, take it. You absolutely take it. That's a really good bit of advice, actually. Um, So when I'm speaking to a client who says, I can't, I can't, I can't, have Mm -hmm. you had that sort of dialogue at times when you have been met by refusals or no, sorry, we're not interested in your work, or you know that yeah. kind of letter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny because um, I have to I have to actually say this that probably in my late twenties and early thirties, I was probably way too overconfident right. and thinking like, ah, you look at me and the couldn't cop, and I've done this, I've done that, and all that kind of stuff. And that's and this is where success can be quite a dangerous thing because it can get to your head, giving you a false sense of security. And when I was at a certain point in my career, in my late 20s and early 30s, or even to maybe a little bit into my mid-30s, it was a rude awakening for me, a massive rude awakening, thinking, all right, maybe I'm not that good. Or, excuse my language, maybe I'm not that shit. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, when it comes to this point in my in my life where I started to re-innovate myself in my art practice, which is the the gunpowder work, 
I was an oil painter before, from 2005 up to 2015. But then I went into the gunpowder, and that and the reason why I went to gunpowder was A, I just thought I need to change. B, I had not engaged in drawing for such a long time. I went straight into painting, which is a bit naughty because you're supposed to draw before you paint. Right. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get scolded by my ex-lectures for that one. <laughs> He's listened to this podcast. Um, and also, if I was going back to drawing, I want to make drawing a little bit much more exciting, innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think that last time, it was when I started reading like chefs. I used to be quite, um, in the early noughties, I used to love Gordon Ramsay. Like, you know, when All right. Work. I used to find it quite inspiring. But then... I started reading other other chefs, and then one chef that in particular that I, I actually really do feel he has the right philosophy about innovation and success is Marco Pierre White. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. who taught Gordon Ramsay. He's he's probably more stoic and than than Gordon Ramsay if you know that, but he was saying that for him, uh, when he got his Michelin stars, first star he get it for outstanding cooking, second star you get it for the outstanding package. But you say when you get the third star, you're playing a defensive game. You always had to protect you always had to be protective of what you do, you had to keep the standards up. And that kind of really ran home to me. Because yeah. the reason being was that maybe even in my late twenties and into my early thirties. And they had to remember I did have a massive success the two exhibitions which were at, at that time of my life, which were the the Plague Doctors in 2011 and the Dante's Inferno series, which I used the Glasgow Underground to portray Dante's uh, Inferno. I matched the station as different circles of hell. That was those sex which were a tremendous success, but the success got to my head. I really didn't. I was getting quite tired. Uh-huh. I really, really get quite tired. And it wasn't until in 2016, and also other things in my personal life was also happening at the time that. I start to change uh-huh. and I felt that I had to change because I became too complacent. And that's where you innovated into the into the gunpowder. Yeah. yeah. So this is what this is interesting because for people listening who, you know, are, are honing a skill or they're whatever, if they're, if they're artists or not artists, whatever they're doing, mm. that ability to evolve and adapt and grow is another road to success, isn't it? You're talking about artists who stay in the same thing and try to produce the same work over and over again. It becomes stale, and an audience looking at their work will also feel that, that there's yeah. not that excitement and that lightness in their work because it's being repeated over and over again. So that's mm-hmm. another thread, isn't it, for people who are struggling to think, well, okay, I know I'm good at this aspect of my work, but how can I make this bigger or change it slightly to, to bring in a new energy? Well, I took a massive risk because I'm, I, I basically did a 180 in my practice because I had a very firm clientele of my oil painting. But when I did the whole gunpowder and also the subject matter changed yeah. as well because I'm not known back then as I, I now use gunpowder to make animals and birds and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't known for that. I was more like a dark, moody, really glass region painter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing is that I took that risk into 16. And then in my personal life, everything started to fall apart. And my, my long, long-term relationship had fallen apart at that point. And I was in a kind of state, I maybe a state of stoicism, where I was thinking, 
what do I do? How do I progress? What am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And all that kind of stuff. And I was focusing on my craft quite a lot because there's not a book in the in the world which you which go, go to a library and say, this is how you make work out of gunpowder. <laughs> I had to completely innovate a new different technique and style and actually constantly experiment. And it did pay off. But I also did took a risk by making work that I had no idea it would sell or not. But I didn't care about that at that point. I was pretty much penniless at that at that, at that point in my life anyway. That's a good thing, isn't but, it, for other people to hear that you've been that low. I was kind of keeping on people's couches. My daily diet was just basically tatties and all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And tea. But to be honest, it made me quite hard in my resolve. Okay. But the funny thing is that even I had a self-belief that what I was doing was the right thing. Mm-hmm. A year after, I got an email from Perth Museum and Art Gallery. That This is the main museum in Perth. To, they offered me a exhibition as well as being an artist of residence after seeing what I have been doing with gunpowder. So things did fall into place, but I did have this self-belief of what I was doing. Uh, I was right. But then it could have gone the other way. Nobody yeah. could have noticed at that point. But, but that self-belief is, is core, isn't it? Having yes. that little flicker of self-belief. You know, you're fanning the flames by doing the work. You're you're keeping that, that light alive. And I think that's what... I want people who are listening who are at a crossroads or just feel a little beaten by the process of what they're trying to do to hear what you're saying here and talk about thinking outside the box, not losing that flicker of self-belief and following through with what you truly want to do. And maybe it'll have to evolve a little, maybe it'll have to change, but that's okay. Just keep forging ahead, keep going, keep going. So have you got any particular words of support that you would like the listeners to hear if they're at this kind of feeling a bit defeated by it, what what kind of key advice would you give them? My key advice, there's several key advices. Um, I always think that consistency is death. I think like you can be consistent in experience, but you need to find you in different ways of achieving or elevating your goals. I mean, it's like, it's like going on a Tinder date. You know, you're not going to follow the same platform every single time to actually to get that winning date, you know. And also, I feel that you don't need to have validation in what you do. I think validation is a very, very good topic. If you, want, if you seek validation, obviously seek it within yourself. You don't mm-hmm. need validation from others. I mean, it's, it's lovely if you... If you get people who support you, but the most core thing is that I have to believe in what I do. That's so useful to hear. I think that's a, a really good point. So how do people find you and how can they see your work and where are you at the minute with that? Facebook and Instagram, which I usually post most of my work on, is under the social media handle Frank Toll Artist. And the website the same name, www.franktoolartist.com. Great. We'll get that added to the show notes for sure. I mean, that has just been so insightful and inspiring and a great listen. I think people will really appreciate what you've shared there. Thank you so much, Frank. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, that was really fun talking to Frank today. Really smart ideas and things hopefully people will be able to take away and think about and and bring into their own 
own lives, actually. One key thing that leapt out was this real understanding that Frank has that you mustn't become too comfortable. Mm. And he was constantly innovating. And one of the things Frank said was complacency is death. Mm. And he's constantly innovating. He doesn't like to become too comfortable. And he's witnessed people who stay producing the same type of work over and over again. It's not just for artists um, or the creatives that this is relevant. I think wherever you're working or whatever you're doing, it's a really important lesson that when mm -hmm. you become too stuck, it just becomes stale. It comes stale for you. It becomes stale for your colleagues. It becomes stale for your audience. You need to be able to do that. And Frank does that in heaps, mm -hmm. doesn't he? Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you make, actually, that it's not necessarily just about your creativity or your outlet, but it's about general life and, yeah, spicing things up a bit. And really interesting work that he's done as well. I'd, I'd recommend people going on, on his website and social media, which is franktoeartist.com and franktoeartist, but I'll I'll put that on the show notes as well. Yeah, just some really, I think he's he's very into his social justice isn't he and, and activism and and what an amazing initiative to be part of the the humanium metal yeah and developing a new color from those melted illegal firearm arms which as he said can be used in the peace treaties and peace negotiations i mean yeah one of the things he said was that success to him is is knowing that he's making a difference to humanity and to be charitable in some way and contribute to world justice it's just heartwarming. The question for this podcast is always about what does the word success mean to you? And he also said it's not a solid concept. When he thinks of how or what's rather success meant to him in his 20s, it would be quite different now. And as he described it, it matures over time. I remember in my early 20s, yeah, just feeling that burden of kind of what am I going to do to be successful? You know, putting loads of pressure on myself to succeed and to achieve. And and I wonder if there's a way of just reminding people that it's OK, you know, as long as your work and your life align with your values. I think that's also what Frank was saying. Yeah. Stuff that aligns with your values can bring you happiness. And the other thing that I really liked hearing was Frank's attitude towards validation and seeking validation and how you can really in the art world but I think also you know in other areas of work you want to seek validation from people in your life close people or people in your in industry and he was saying make an effort to seek validation from yourself yeah. and that's the most powerful place mm -hmm. you can get some validation yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? When Frank said success can give a false sense of security, because if it's just about Instagram followers, what about your loved ones? What about your the people you care about? Where are they on that sense of success? You know, what is that about? And that was that really struck me. Success gives a false sense of security. I think another thing he's obviously doing some amazing work on quite a big worldwide scale and not all of us will have that opportunity but I think the message that I got from it that can be applied to all areas of life I think is making sure that your actions align with your values mm -hmm. I think it kind of comes back to that for me because I was thinking yeah what an amazing series of projects and portfolio that, that he has but actually when you boil it down 
he's doing things that make him happy because they align with who he is. Mm-hmm. Good point. I think that's a really, really good point. And I hope our listeners do click on the, the links that you're going to put in the show notes, Remy, so that they can really go and have a look at what Frank does and who he is. And um, he was just such a great guest to talk to. So thank you for that, Remy. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to In Conversation with Kathleen. I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy making these episodes. In the hope that someone else benefits from listening to the show, please like, subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for listening.